Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome to History and Technicolor. This is David and this is Wolf. This is Wolf. We're going to talk today about a bridge too far. A bridge too far. And the person that's going to talk about the bridge too far Me. is you. <laughs> Come yes. on, Thank you, David. Come on, you. Wonderful introduction. Uh, a Bridge Too Far, the 1977 movie, uh, focuses on the 1944 Allied engagement, Operation Market Garden, whereby 35,000 men were flown behind enemy lines dropped into the German-occupied Netherlands. Their mission was to capture a series of bridges over the Rhine that would help them secure a vital link to Germany and hopefully speed up the resolution of the war. The key bridge in all of this is Arnhem Bridge. Right, is, is, that, worth. is that a little bit too far, that bridge? It's one bridge too far. Is it? Yes, right. one. Uh, the film is based on the book written by Cornelius Ryan, who was a great military historian and a war correspondent. His previous work led to the film The Longest Day... Uh, his goal was always to tell the most complete story, and he conducted thousands of interviews from people on all sides of each conflict. So he had a lot of information that was very dense. I've read a couple of books by Cornelius Ryan, and what's that other movie? The Longest Day? Uh, the Longest Day. And The Longest Book. Oh, no, it wasn't called that. But it was quite long. Anyway, <laughs> very long. Why have I selected this movie, Why you, you ask? Uh, I've selected this film because... It is made by the legendary Richard Attenborough. Right, legendary. Who we've already dear, dear, talked about before. Dear, dear Dickie. And I love him. Um, <laughs> You're thinking of Miracle on 34th Street? Is it 34th and Street? And Jurassic Park. He's cute in every movie. Is except he cute maybe movie? not 10 Rellington Place, but oh, I will... Uh, oh, yes, he's not yes. Or um, what's the one where he's... Brighton Rock. Brighton Rock. He's not nice in that one, either. Nope, but he's still kind of cute. Yeah, dear, dear Dickie. Um, it contains one of the greatest casts ever assembled. It is pretty stellar, isn't it? It was amazing. You keep watching these guys come out. You think, well, no. Is that? No. Oh, you know what I mean? It, and uh, so I, before we do anything else, can you think of a film which has a better cast? Right. Also considering the time, how big they were as stars. Okay, I really want to say yes, of course I can, but just because, you know, that's my nature. So I'm going to think of Alan Bennett. But no, it's astounding. I, I do. I actually Genuinely, thought you, I actually thought you might raise The Longest Day, because obviously it's... Right. 
Jimmy Stewart, John Wayne, Robert Mitchum, Henry Fonda. Jimmy Stewart. And, of course, any film with Jimmy Stewart is immediately yes. superb. You know. He's wonderful. But anyway, I th- I, if anybody Peter, knows out Jimmy there a film Stewart. that has a better cast overall than A Bridge Too Far, then please let us know. It is pretty stellar, isn't it? Uh, the film is exciting, and it's a very detailed study of a fascinating and disastrous part of World War II. Uh, I have very fond memories of being captivated by this film, and have long wanted to visit Arnhem, Nijmegen, and other locations in real life. Uh, it's also written by William Goldman, who is one of the most respected screenwriters ever, uh, and who he? won he won two Oscars for writing right. All the President's Men uh-huh. and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance yep. Kid. Another of my, is that historical? Can we make that we, historical? We can, sure. Sundrops, no, not sundrops. Raindrops, well, whatever. It you sounds like one. you love the film. <laughs> I do love um, it. But from studying screenwriting, <clears throat> his work, his books are referenced heavily. Right. Uh, so he's a pretty established voice in that field. Okay. How do we get here? Because I thought this was quite interesting. Uh, so the war movies that we all love and know really kicked off in sort of the 50s and the 60s when they were making roughly sort of 200... World War Two movies per year, uh, per decade. No. Sorry, per decade. Per decade. Let's make that clear. Per decade. <laughs> okay. um, so you kind of have the Cruel Sea and the Dam Busters in fifty three, fifty four, and then you move up to Bridge and the River Kwai, which I think is fifty eight, which won Best Film at the Oscars. Uh, some critics believe that Bridge on the River Kwai kind of changed war films uh, as it introduced a depth and complexity to them. Uh, their views and their characters. I was just talking about this the other day. Mm. The film stands out in my mind as being maybe even slightly controversial in terms of how it approaches our memories of the war. So it's a really interesting one to look at, and maybe for a future day. Yeah, indeed. And Crawl the Cruel Sea, love that movie. Oh, love I the love book, that film. Love the movie. Yeah. So then in 1962, the epic docudrama The Longest Day is released, okay, as we've already mentioned, uh, which created another milestone in the genre and kind of paved the way for future epic uh, documentary-style dramas. Uh, that looked to explore the factual side of the war uh, and all its intricate details, and all the battle plans and everything. The producer of The Longest Day then went on to set up the American-Japanese co-production of Tora 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 ah. in 1970, which is interesting because obviously they're combined with the Japanese to deliver a kind of a joint uh, view of that conflict from both sides. Mm. Uh, it's no longer uh, this perhaps propaganda-style yeah. movie or one where it's just reinforcing nationalism. They're really just trying to examine history at this point. Um, and I think this is kind of how we get to the point where A Bridge Too Far arrives in 1977. Um, but it's also interesting that it comes sort of one year before Apocalypse Now. And then you have this kind of influx of, of Vietnam movies. And over the next 10 years, you get Full Metal Jacket, Platoon, um, etc., Deer Hunter. Yeah. Uh, and those kind of really bring in a kind of a new era to kind of war films. Enjoyment. Enjoyment level. So okay. I'm gonna, in a second I'm going to ask you what you All thought. Right, I'm preparing myself to be asked. But uh, I think it's just worth noting, the cast is truly wonderful. cast is truly wonderful. Minus Gene Hackman's Polish accent. And Gene Hackman. It's not a great Polish accent. It's not a great Polish accent. Also, he's an annoying character. Although I feel a bit guilty about that. Should I talk about that now or leave that? I'll leave that until later. Well, you can ask him about it later. Well, he's a little bit historically accurate. He is. Well, the thing is about him... Okay, I'll tell you... The, Historically, he sounds like he was very badly treated, um, you know, dragged into this battle that wasn't necessarily his. And then the only guy who was prosecuted, um, which is, you know, incredibly unfair. On the other hand, in the film, Gene Hackman never really says what his objections to the operation are. So you see he's being all sort of 
passive aggressive and sort of mm, this isn't going to work without saying but the problem is a b and c so why don't we do d e and f so i found him a little bit annoying in the film while accepting that historically he got a pretty bad deal did you know does that make him any better well, i don't know i'm just gonna <laughs> while we're talking about it did you notice that um dirk bogard actually doesn't even give him a command he completely ignores him in the room mm. has no respect for him at all and then afterwards like Oh, I'm sorry. Did I forget you? <laughs> You're doing this part of the mission. Yeah. And that's what the rubric about him being prosecuted was that, OK, somebody needs to get carry the can for this. Who's the foreigner? Mm, the Pole. Let's do him. So plays yeah. that whole We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this later, but yeah. I, I do think it's interesting. Yes. But it's worth noting that everyone's brilliant, but that accent is not. Indeed. Actually, there's one other guy who isn't brilliant. Oh, you don't like Ryan O'Neill? Mm, I really don't like Ryan O'Neill. I mean, you know, in Love Story... I can remember my sister weeping copious tears and my mother, you know, doing the same. But he's a bit rubbish in this, isn't he? Looks like he's reading a card. After, oh, yes. we can't get across the river. What after, shall we do? But he's the only one. After you told me, it is a little bit hard to watch it. Yeah. I will admit that. The battle scenes are spectacular. Truly incredible to watch. And the, the feat that they're even filmed and made is quite incredible. There are lots of really nice human details which I really enjoy, that kind of still break up the kind of never-ending war scenes. Decent mix of humour, particularly British humour. Uh, lots of tea and biscuits. Yeah, and lots of Monty Python sketches then, no. You have... If, if tea and biscuits every five or ten minutes, and it's wonderful. <laughs> there is actually there is a nasty moment there, isn't there, where the they're stuck. The column is stuck, isn't it? The tanks, and they're brewing up. And the guy comes along to an American guy and comes along to them and says, you know, what are you doing? And actually there's a re- perfectly reasonable explanation, which is that they cannot go down until the infantry arrives, otherwise they'll be blown to smithereens by the artillery. But it is kind of rather presented as a classic, Americans, get on, do it, you know, and British, going to have a cup of tea before they bother doing anything. Did you notice when Sean Connery has a cup of tea, it cuts to the Germans and they're also having a cup of tea? Is, no, I did not Yes, notice straight <gasps> after, one scene to the next. But what kind of tea were they drinking, the Germans? Do they have know. the same... He was in, it was in a little china cup. Oh, excellent, excellent. Um, it was... <laughs> I loved it. Um, I think the film is very exciting, uh, particularly early on. Uh, to me, it feels like a heist movie. You've got really? all... You know why? Because it's... You've got all the build-up. Okay, so there's loads of tension being created. Um, you see the tanks quite early on, so you're really aware that they're heading into doom, but obviously they're not aware of it. And they're having all these secret meetings, and they're planning, and they're plotting, they're organising the plan, you learn every detail of the plan. It's like we're getting ready for a bank robbery, where you know all the details. So you know if you you, you need a bank robbery, you have to know who's going in what door, who's got what role who's carrying what, where each person has to be, and actually, so that you notice when it goes wrong. True, and actually I, I, I know this now because I watched, you know, the greatest critic in world criticism, Mark Kermode, doing a How Do You Make a Heist music. Have you yes. seen this? Yes, it was very good. Very good, yeah. But do you see what I mean? Now, I do. When you think about I it, do. that yes, first absolutely. hour... Absolutely, good point. It's pretty good. You get, that's when you get a lot of the humour coming in, and I think, I think it's just really enjoyable. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, does the film lose its way... Probably. Uh, it, Just outside Doom. It drags on quite a bit because it is very, very long. Um, there are too many characters and even with the stars, I know that kind of is designed to make it a little bit easier to track people, but I still forget who's working in like what unit, 
where they are, yeah. and what problem is kind of that each person is dealing with. I'll just kind of notice, ah, we're back with Sean Connery, but I won't really know, like, what he's doing in the battle at this point, like, where he's got to go, yeah. and then it'll be James Kahn, and I'm like, wait, what's he yeah. doing? Um, <laughs> and then you just have to kind of watch them just doing it and yeah. just accept that you've lost track. I think that's absolutely right. You know, yeah. for my T. Penneth, I went through a kind of process with this movie and then I talked to you afterwards briefly and I realised that, you know, I was just wrong in every way. And I, you know, I went outside and beat myself with a birch twig and then it was fine. Are there any birch twigs left in your garden? <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure you've thrashed them all. <laughs> this song's had the ashes. But essentially it was really, really long and actually... You don't get to love anybody, you know, you don't get to identify with anybody. It is kind of like a documentary. And I got lost as well. There are a couple of battles that you begin to focus on, aren't there? The one with Hopkins. Yes, and so Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins. is on Arnhem Bridge. And that which is you a remember crucial one. a little bit, because you get the nice bit with the bloke with the brolly. Yes. Which is quite fun, and there's a little bit of human interaction there that makes it work. And, and the bit when the... The German comes over the bridge with the white flag and Very he's like, good. would you like to surrender? And they're like, I'm sorry, we can't accept your surrender. Because <laughs> we haven't got room for all the prisoners. Nice touch. Yes, that was a nice touch. That was, yeah, there was just a little bit of humour in the movie's show and that was, that was good. Once I realised that what I was seeing was a documentary recreation of the war, then I begin to admire it more. Couldn't love it because I didn't feel engaged with the characters. And also, uh, I was aware that I was being told that this was a great screw-up. But So there was a kind of, you know, I'm watching it for the good of my soul. But I, the battle scenes are amazing. And you really get to, if you want to study, like The Longest Day, if you want to study what happened, this is a brilliant way into it. You know, for use in schools, whatever. Fantastic. And, um, yes, and the actors are brilliant. So I felt similar to... You've yeah, done, when I, I watched it when I was... Uh... I don't know, 14, 15, uh, I was captivated. Yeah. Honestly, I right now I get a little bit bored at times, but I wasn't at all there. Yeah, I wanted to see every single scene, like what happens next, what goes wrong, like how do these people get to each other? Yeah. It was... Uh, and Doug, who was your favourite character? I mean, it's... Film-wise, you know. Next it's time. got to be Sean Connery. Sean Connery. It's hard not to be Sean Connery. Elliot Gould is phenomenal. Elliot Gould is very good. Big cigar chewing guy. When he appears and he's running and the cigar's in his mouth, uh, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> he's the way he good, shouts yeah. at everybody, it, he just has he has a presence which is I'm going to go for different choices. I'm going to go for Robert Redford because of his jaws. I mean, how does he do that thing with his jaw? You know, he kind of crunches it, doesn't he? And he moves it from left to right. What is Robert Redford's greatest ever movie? You've got three seconds. Well, three, you've already two, said Butch Cassidy and the Sundance one. Kid. Not his I love movie. The Sting. Sting. Either The Sting or The Natural, isn't it? One of the two. You're going to go for Sting. Well, I just really like The Sting. I love The Sting too. So we'll say The Sting. Uh, we're on the same page. So Robert Redford, because he's Robert Redford, but actually Dirk Bogard. It's a much underrated actor, is he not? I mean, he is the epitome of upper-class slime. Not slime, that's too strong. Upper-class officer class incompetence and lack of self-awareness and lack of willingness to to accept that he's messed up he fought in the war as well he did and apparently it was all about champagne and <laughs> yes <laughs> so, but i thought sense. he was brilliant i mean he absolutely captured the essence of i think the filmmaker's view of why the whole thing went wrong an inability to look reality in the face interesting very interesting 
Mm, interesting, Mr. Bond. <laughs> oh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Come on, he's Michael the best thing in any movie in the world. I mean, you know. And the trouble is, even if he was messing it up, you'd still think he's great. And at some point, he has to say, blow the bloody doors off. It, they're all so good. And this is, this is why they're in the movie, because... It, yeah, they're very good. And this is a benefit to it. You don't have to characterise them too much individually because you're only seeing them as the stars that they are. That is true. So when Robert Redford appears, he's going to be classic Robert Redford. So you can't remember the person who he's playing. Yeah, true. Um, I know they're all real people, but now you're just going to see him as Robert Redford. So you're going to see Sundance going across the river in a boat saving the day. It is true. And then you're going to see um, James Kahn like, driving around... Yeah. Um, being really macho. Yeah, and then about you, to get shot up in the toll booth. Yeah, and yeah, Edward Fox, when he's giving his speech... Edward Fox! Yes! You think he's going to go and shoot some lady and try and kill de Gaulle? Which, um, the Day of the Jackal is one of the greatest the movies The greatest ever. movies ever. It's so good! <laughs> I wish that was historically yes. accurate. Ah. And pretend. It's interesting to see that we remember them for the actors. I think it's a really good point. That, and maybe that's actually a good thing because this is a docudrama and so maybe that so you recognize people and you kind of roughly know where you yeah. are and it helps and there's there's one in each area yeah there's a star in every location yes. doing a different thing so when you see elliot gould you probably remember you're back by the bridge that exploded mm. when you see michael kane you know you're with the tanks yes. um so it does. The other thing that message. helps with that Michael came with tanks is usually your tanks. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it, Sorry, that is, the, that is the case. I'd like to apologise. So I want to ask you, what do you think the purpose of the film is? What, Which is the question we promised we'd ask ourselves. On, 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 a, on a basic level, I think its number one aim is to create this epic depiction of the conflict as accurately as possible. The tagline was, Out of the sky comes the screen's most incredible spectacle of men and war. The word spectacle features there, and I think that's what we're being given. They got all the correct uh, and accurate equipment, planes, parachutes. Everything was done as realistically as possible, and then filmed it for real. All those men coming out of the sky while they're up in the air filming them. This is Saving Private Ryan before Saving Private Ryan. They want to recreate this as best as possible. I would believe that the purpose is to show that the war, uh, like never before, use film to its kind of greatest extent and really put us in the conflict it doesn't maybe it doesn't feel like that now because obviously so much time has passed i think it still does i mean i think you're absolutely right but it's but also as you're probably going to go on to say it's got also to be a little bit about an anti-war beat ourselves over the head because otherwise why would you choose that subject yes. you know they chose the longest day for obvious reasons because it was such a Success. incredibly important event in the second world war they could have chosen Alamein, they could have chosen I don't know, the war in Italy, and there yeah. are films about those things. They chose this one, which is not a it's not a footnote in the history of the in the history of the Second World War at all, but it isn't the big strategic thing. Now this is interesting because um Cornelius Ryan felt that Market Garden was generally being omitted from history mm. in our accounts of the Second World War. Because it was a failure. Yeah. Um, we obviously won the war. We didn't want to worry about these errors that we had. And it was because it was the biggest like airborne operation ever carried out at this point for it to be. A, okay. 
a colossal fail. Let's just throw that out there now and then reevaluate if it was or not. Tens of thousands of people's died, yeah. 17,000 or something, yeah. That's it's still you don't really want to worry too like talk about that now that we are like kind of past the war. So I believe part of his approach from writing the book was to kind of reevaluate everything that had happened and shed light on something which uh, we were kind of ignoring, pushing under the rug. And also, obviously, as we will come up, Monty thought it was ninety percent a success, which is a remarkable statement. I think because he was telling people it was it was a success, maybe people thought it was. Yeah. So this was to kind of show people that it wasn't, and this yeah. is kind of so it's good old story. honest. It's the good old honest to godness historical revisionism, essentially, isn't it? Saying, look, actually, we need to understand this because it's not the anti-war thing is not overt in it. No, it's not like as we were saying, charge the light brigade where they set it up at the end. And you were you were talking about the end where the way it ends was not like charge the light brigade where they set it up to make the officer class look like complete and utter idiots and morally vacuous idiots to that. They kind of walk away with regret when they're looking at the scene, they decide to call it off. I know that's not right at the end of the movie. And they all kind of look regretfully at each other and say a couple of things. Sean Connery doesn't take Dirk Bogart to task right at the end he just says what do you think and Dirk Bogart makes some says something very evasive and rather dishonest Sean Connery doesn't lay into him in a war movie Sean Connery would have laid into him in moral indignation and stormed out of the building do you know what I mean doesn't do that and I think I would assume that's because they're trying to tell the story as it happened so there aren't going to be these big like grandstanding moments where people make these huge speeches that aren't plausible or yeah. they wouldn't have made at the time everything's going to be matter of fact and delivered the way that it yeah. took place and you reach the conclusion yourself which in a way is a discuss a better way of doing it in charge of the light brigade you react again against the end a little bit because you think i'm sure they did not stand there and have that stand up argument because they'd have had a bit more dignity and awareness to do that whereas in this because it is much more realistic, it kind of grows on you. But, oh, actually... So, at what point did you start to... Th- well, did you think that it was an anti-war movie I, I kind times? of, I kind of knew that it was... That this was about a failure of an operation. And therefore, you wouldn't pick that unless you were going to tell everybody, actually. Yeah, you know. and that was my thinking. I was like, you... There's no way you would tempt this movie if you don't have some anti-war, anti-establishment sentiment. Yeah. That has to be there. But... And this is where we guess we talk whether it succeeded or not. I think quite a lot of the time, because it's just kind of trying to tell you the facts, it almost sits on the fence a bit. It's not overt in any of its message, and you have to kind of come up with your own yeah, thoughts. It's not it. hard-hitting, certainly. Sometimes it is. So, for example, that old lady will get mown down in the street. Yes, there are a couple of... You're right. Really there. shocking moment of violence. But then, Elliot Gould is chewing a cigar. Yeah. And you forget... Yes. And you're on to the next star-studded The scene. saddest bit was, and it was all set up for pathos, wasn't it, was the, the Dutch resistance guy. You know, they actually build the character of the relationship between father and son. It's a very it's pretty cardboard cutout, but nonetheless, they build it up and it's a traditional relationship and therefore you invest in it. And so the son dying is quite a big moment. And that's much more of an anti-war moment, I thought, yeah. than the rest of it. That's all, very clear. All the shots of the, like, bicycle tyres spinning and yes. the fires... Um, what's really interesting about the film on the whole is, A, because the book collected, obviously, interviews from Germans, from the Dutch, 
from uh, the resistance, from the civilians, from Americans, British, etc., from everyone, that you have this kind of really complete picture, which helps. Uh, and then the film clearly continues that by yeah. giving you everybody's viewpoints. I think it does a really good job of humanising everyone mm. involved. I think that the Germans are not faceless villains yeah. at all. They're just men in conflict. Yeah. And there's a really harrowing scene where that man dies in the tank on fire. Yeah. And I don't think you can watch that scene and think for one second that there is any hatred or anger in the filmmaker's eye yeah. in, in that footage. It's Unless it is at war itself. Yeah. To me, that's a change from the movies in the 50s yeah. and the 60s. They were just bodies yes. to be mown down. Absolutely. And they were, and, or it wouldn't even show the death because it's kind of... You don't linger on it. But in this film, it does try to linger on the realities yeah. and the horrors of war. Uh, and they do like to throw the quotes out there about the amount of men who've died as well. Yeah. Uh, just kind of give you statistics. I find it interesting that he obviously made Oh, What a Lovely War previously. So in 1969, he adapted that into a film, uh, which is obviously about the futility of the First World War and the bumbling idiots in charge of everybody sending all these thousands of men off to die for no real purpose. And it's a very satirical, very anti-war statement. So I find it interesting that he's gone from that to this, because it makes me think about the anti-war angle, but it's clearly reduced. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I do think it's worth discussing, as we've already come up with, how it views the leadership on the whole. Because that's where I feel like you it really decides if it's an anti-war movie or not. So you've got Dirk Bogard. If there is a villain of the piece, it is him. It is him, yeah. But Monty, who is the one he often refers to as being the one responsible, yeah. um, never appears in the film. So if we move on to historical accuracy, which I guess is what we're talk- talking about, that would be my my main point. I mean, you'd know much more about the... The accuracy, by and large, I agree with you that from what everything I've read and what I've saw, it's difficult to get more accurate in a movie. I mean, you might have some specific points. But the biggest inaccuracy for me was the absence of the real villain of the piece, which was Monty. And indeed, Eisenhower. Yeah. I haven't seen Eisenhower mentioned anywhere, but he, of course, is the guy who makes the ultimate decision and is therefore ultimately responsible. And he approves a plan by Monty, which is incredibly ambitious and optimistic and ignores the experience of the Germans in Crete. So Eisenhower is also a villain of the piece, but possibly probably the biggest villain of the piece is Monty. If every single person is in this movie, every general and field marshal and everybody involved, it is a little bit weird that, that Montgomery and Eisenhower aren't in it at all, yeah. particularly Montgomery, especially because he's mentioned directly a lot. Yeah. But Mon- Monty is actually mentioned at least. It seems to me that Monty was... For the British, you know, the first time we won something. Because, you know, to be honest, just to be controversial here, if you look at our, you know, putting the senior service aside, British and English success at land battles. You know, you're talking Edward III, Duke of Marlborough, 
an Irishman called Duke of Wellington. Apart from that, I mean, I exaggerate, we'll get lots of letters. But, you know, and Monty won Alamein, and suddenly that gave everybody hope that actually we might... Turning of the war kind of thing. So he's kind of an un... Unbeatable figure. Um, I'm choosing the wrong word. Isn't, isn't you know it I mean? interesting that the Germans think that he's an idiot and they're really frightened of Patton? Yes. That was really interesting. Because, yes, that's what the Germans say, but and it could just be historically accurate. But it's a big signal, I, I think. It's, yeah, it's a big signal. You've got um, worry in the Allied ranks and Montgomery isn't around and they reference him a little bit and they're questionable about his decisions and you've got Gene Hackman who's obviously opposing it a little bit. Um, and they all kind of think they're going on a bit of a crazy mission. And then the Germans are like, if Patton's coming, we're all dead. Yeah. But if it's Montgomery, we don't have much to worry about. Yeah. That is interesting. I, I would be very surprised if that's a historically, historically accurate statement. And I think that's a big flag there in the movie that he's put there to compensate for the fact that he hasn't quite had the balls to put Monty in there as the villain. Okay, so why do you think that Monty isn't in the film then? Because, as I said, I think he's just too big a fill a character for them to diss at this point exactly he's too heroic too well respected so do you think that then they uh kind of uh cop out a little bit and make dirk bogard the villain i think so that's that was my thought but do you think that they try to okay do you believe any of his answers at the end when he kind of tries to abdicate some of the blame to to my understanding from what i read was that browning did indeed say to monty look i think this is one bridge too far hence the title of the movie, and Monty dismisses his uh, his objection. But is it not frustrating that he's not like that at the start of the film? At the beginning of the movie, he clearly sees the flaws and pursues it anyway. And but I think that's a good thing about the movie. I mean, I'm not a military man, so I don't know. But my understanding is that the potential for dispute in that situation is limited. The debate, the strategic discussion happens at an upper level. A decision is made. And once the decision is made, you have to go for it. And yes, you have to obje- listen to objections. You might make objections operational, but you're not going to say, this is mad, we, sh- we can't do this, because that's just not the way it works. I do agree, but do you not think he's shown to be perhaps more of a coward? Yes. Especially in that scene when he realises they've failed and they're like, you need to pull them out. And he's kind of quivering a little bit and has lost all of his confidence. Yeah, he's, he's, he's hung out to dry as Browning, isn't he? In yeah, the film. and... So that's why, for me, when he says at the end, oh, I think we, I always said we were going to go a bridge too far, mm. it's so hollow. It doesn't feel at all convincing. And they've shown you earlier him rejecting the evidence about the Panzer Division. Yeah. Um, and saying, well, we can't cancel this. Yes. And I do think that, I think that happened. Yeah. But everybody clearly says his fault is really kind of minor in comparison to yeah. Montgomery's. Yeah. And the general entire structuring of the operation. Yeah. Um, Agreed. But I just think that's interesting because if, if you're going to take Montgomery out, if you're going to put not really put the blame on him, yeah. not finger the man, uh, so to speak, uh, then you're holding back and yes. you uh, any real kind of um, anti-war sentiment that you want to kind of put out yeah. there, at the end, it's a little bit lost. Take, it's slightly uh, deflated. Uh, totally agree. Yeah, and they basically bottle it, don't they? And then it's just, which is potentially fine if the ultimate purpose is just to be like a documentary. But even then, it's not fine. I mean, what is the biggest historical inaccuracy in the movie, Wolf? Well, you're going to tell me it's the fact that... Well, well, I I would say it's the missing villain. Yeah, I couldn't... I tried to find this out. I was trying to work out where Montgomery was during the conflict. Mm. uh, Trying to work out where he's actually missing from the film. Because I can't work out where he is during this time period. Mm. 
Um, as in, is he... Uh, where is he overseeing? Yeah, is he like, overseeing it or is he... Where is he, where is he stationed? Where is he watching? Is he like, fishing or what? Yeah. And I was struggling to find that information because that would tell me just how much he is physically emitted. Okay. I do think it's possible that if he just wasn't in and around the area, that it's like a decision to not cut to him in a meeting room yeah. somewhere else. Maybe it's too many people, I don't know. In the film, they could have put that key point where it's his decision, his plan. So, overall, the accuracy is phenomenal. I mean, the whole purpose of the movie is to be accurate, and as such... Were there any howlers? Or any, you know, concatenations or squidging to make it work? There's a few things, like, I'm going to pronounce it terribly, but Field Marshal... Runstead, I think, mm-hmm. was actually the one in charge on the Western Front. Right. There's just a different person. Right. Um, which seems slightly odd. Yeah. Um, considering everybody's mostly accurate. A few of the characters maybe have an incorrect name, but they're directly based on one individual. Uh, so as such, everybody is kind of playing all their roles and everything seems to have happened the way it did. There might be a few issues to do with, like, colours of a few things, bits of equipment right. changes, we're talking, but we're, we're talking pretty minor. We're talking um, Frank McClintock level. And it was obviously full of war veterans and military advisors who'd all been in the conflict, who were there throughout, telling them how it happened right. and how it was done. And it's based off of a book that is all first-hand interviews and accounts of the entire event from all sides. Right. Because it's not just one perspective, because the, the Germans and the Allies and the civilians and the resistance are all incorporated into the responses... Um, it gives you this completely rounded picture of how everybody viewed all the different scenarios and how everything took place. Did you notice that there is a German equivalent of Dirk Bogard in the movie as well? I got a bit confused between those two guys, actually. There was one of them who was kind of nice and, you know, allows them to move out of the house as POWs, and there's a nasty one who wants to kill everybody. But I didn't really know... So, you know... You know when they come to that guy's house and he's having dinner? Yeah. He's the one who's ultimately in charge. Right. And he's the one who says... He says that foolish thing where he's like, there's absolutely no possible way they want to take the bridge. Yes. Why would they do that? They're here for me. I'm the most important person here. How many legs it? I've got to get away. That's very funny. Um, And he's the one who's drinking tea as well. Right. So... So always tea is obviously a signifier. I, I just thought that it was interesting that they level a similar amount of kind of pressure on On German high high intelligence, where they're essentially saying that your kind of officers, the troops, everybody are innocent, and it's kind of uh, people from the top have caused a lot of the problems, and that your average German troops should not be... Right, lions led by donkeys, good old... um... Okay, so, I mean, in summary, you loved it, is that right? Okay, so in summary... The first time I saw the movie, I absolutely adored it. Right. In future times watching the movie, it's so long that I lose interest right. towards the end. Okay. I think the first hour is really good, especially this time. I get really excited with all the build-up, and I still really want to go to all those places and, and learn more about this. Yeah. Um, but I just get completely lost during it. And one of those reasons I think I noticed this time is time frame. It's complete. I have no comprehension of the yes. time frame. There's a bit towards the end where Sean Connery's like, it was meant to be two days, we've been here for nine days. Yeah. Do you ever comprehend no, that this is true. weeks long? They do mention it a few times, but no, I don't but have... does it feel yes, like All I feel long. is, all I, the only impression I get is that this is taking too long. I don't know, it doesn't feel as though it's taking no. two weeks. And you can't comprehend how each of the group's time spans. No. So, you know how in Dunkirk, uh, the Christopher Nolan yeah. one, 
do you kind of have these timescales for the three sections? Although, can I just say that when I watched the movie, I had no idea. Okay. And it didn't affect my enjoyment one iota. Fine. But what I mean is that's at least an approach where they're saying, like, this is how quickly the planes are covering this distance. Yes. This is how quickly the boats are. In this movie, I have no idea how far the tanks are getting, how close they are, um, how much time they need, and then how long the other people on Arnhem Bridge have been. There's, I don't really get a sense of night and day changing, yeah. weeks passing. No. Uh, and as a result, uh, especially with all the jumping around, um, it's hard to know where everybody is uh, kind yeah, of come the end true. of it. Okay, but you still loved it. I thought it was very long, as you did. Afterwards, I came to love it a bit more because I realised that what you really needed to be was a bit of a history nerd. And once you got yourself into that mode of, I am being a history nerd here and I'm worried about the size of the clips on the helmet and whether they've got the right ones or whether Michael Caine is wearing the right coloured scarf or not, then it got much more enjoying because I was looking at it in a different way. Rather than being one kind of entertainment, it was a documentary type. And then I liked it much more. So if that's what you're looking for, it's yes. really, really good. Brilliant for that. Absolutely brilliant for that. So it began to get me to think, you know, we have this sort of vague quest in the ether that we're investigating, although really we just want to chat, but, and an excuse to watch a movies, but there's this idea that is historical accuracy an indicator of the quality of a history movie? Are we trying to do that? Yes. What's the relationship? So I'm beginning to think we could get towards a coefficient here. We could build an algorithm over yes. the next few weeks, years, months, possibly decades. The level of historical accuracy is one variable, isn't it? Yeah. I think it might well be that there's a sweet spot where you can be historically, historically accurate enough, but if you're too historically accurate, it gets dull, and if you're not, if you're really unhistorically accurate, inaccurate, like, let me think, Braveheart, then you lose everybody because everybody gets too annoyed... Okay, but you should also admit that with that one, you don't lose everybody because it's still universally... I've got another dimension. Not anymore, it isn't. Okay. We're chipping away. Slowly, we're chipping away. But I agree, there is another coefficient, which is the eye of the beholder dimension. Okay. So if I am completely ignorant about that period, then... Historical accuracies are not going to annoy me because I'm not going to spot them. Yeah. If I am a scholar of some renown in that period, I'm going to find it unwatchable. Because I'm going to say, hang on, no. Oh, no. Oh, oh come on. Oh, you must be what? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's another dimension in this algorithm, which is about the level of knowledge of the watcher. And then there's another angle which is the quality of the cast the quality of the film the script writing all the good old normal things about you know the quality of the film is it well put together put all that together and i think we could build an algorithm plug in some numbers and come up with an answer which is probably going to be 42 okay (laughs) so 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 what you're saying is in in terms of this film the film is so historically accurate accurate. are we saying a nine that it gets a nine sounds like a good mark because we just scored it, we yep, just got it without any messing about. We just scored it. Yeah, didn't have any bait. So we're saying shout a nine. At you. Okay. You didn't shout at me. So what you're saying is, if it's really historically accurate, the chances of it being also high in the film category yeah. are going to reduce. Yeah. So where are you putting it as a film? I'm going to go. I'm going to go six. 
Oh, you really want to go as far as slow down as six? Maybe seven. You could probably persuade me into seven. Okay. Well, let's go seven because I was going to go towards an eight. Right, okay. But I do understand that if you're not interested in like... Was really quite bored. I know, but if if you're really interested in like war history... Yes. I can really see you You push right Indeed. up the scale. But if you're not, you go down. Indeed. So seven makes sense. Okay. So what you're saying is if you had known this was going to be a nine or ten in accuracy in advance, you would have predicted perhaps yeah. a six or seven in entertainment. Indeed. So I'm, what I'm saying is if they'd taken an hour out, if we'd seen a little bit less of Robert Redford's Jaws, if we'd taken Ryan out of it, honestly, then maybe it would have been a better film. If you'd taken down two hours, actually maybe I'd have been... Gripped and maybe more shouting from bit Sean more shouting, at the end. Bit more shouting from yep, Sean. Bit more shouting from Sean would have been good. Oh, always be good, wouldn't it? And why did Michael some say of the tea drinking blow though. the bloody doors off? <laughs> why didn't he say that? I mean, it was yeah, perfect. I mean, he was in a tank. He was in a tank. He had a big gun. Blow the bloody doors off. I don't know. Anyway, you see my point. We can work on that algorithm. So I think what we need to do now is we need to propose, hey. or I need to propose to you, hey. films that you have not scene yeah and then you need to kind of pre- or we predict with the algorithm where you think it, it will uh, yeah. rank and then see what you think afterwards I think we need to work with the algorithm though okay I think we've got a lot more work and I think we need somebody with a brain we need somebody to help us because I haven't got a mathematical yeah, brain I can't work between the two algorithm. of us we can't do anything so <laughs> let's bring in a third party okay so are we done I think we are I think just something to throw out there kind of as the outcome of all of this because we haven't really talked about how much it is as a failure, um, I think it's really interesting to note that the Netherlands suffered greatly right. for, uh, as a result of this operation. Right, it doesn't come um, out in the film. Part, I mean, it does a bit, but what you mean subsequently? Their railway lines were cut off by the Germans because they'd used them to help the Allies, and then they starved the population mm. horrifically. Perhaps even hundreds of thousands of people died ah, from really? starvation right. in the Netherlands. Right now, I know that, and it's shown a lot in the movies, the the cheering and support for the troops. I do think a lot of people recognise the effort, and a lot of people, some people were rescued by them. It is interesting to think that they were living. I know it's occupied, but relatively safely, and had been for a while. After this invasion, a lot of them are killed. Mm. Um, I think that's an interesting yeah. point to put out there, and that Monty tried to get the Polish division moved because he blamed them directly for the failings and said they didn't try hard enough, they weren't in on it. Yeah. And that he tried to get rid of them and shift them off to another... And that's part of the thing I was leader. talking at the beginning. It's yeah. pretty clear that there's an anti-foreigner thing. Who can we blame? Ah, the Poles. Yeah, and then they put that in right from the beginning of the movie and how they all treat Gene Hackman yeah. throughout the film, um, which is partly maybe why he doesn't have a voice. Maybe yeah. he knows. But I think that's worth... As, yeah. as we remember Monty and he's not shown in the film, yeah. it's worth pointing out that if we think he's at fault for this, he was kind of yeah. a bit of an arse about it afterwards as well, which is interesting when we remember him. Indeed. Anything else you want to add? I think that's it. That's been very interesting. I enjoyed the film more because we were having discussion than we would have done if we weren't. Good. So, you know, History and Technicolor has achieved something for me personally. And when was the last time you saw this film? Decades. Okay, so, so it was almost completely fresh to you. Yeah, I remembered bits of it. I'd clearly watched it when I was a lad, but, you know, that's okay. Interesting. a long time ago. All right. Very good. Thank you very Thank much, you very everybody. Uh, before we go, we'll be inserting the roundup from the last episode, which is The Madness of King George, here. Hello, everyone, including Jason, of course. 
and welcome to the roundup of our full and frank exchange of views about the madness of King George, which was something of a loving as it happens. This film has set a new high of love. 82% of you, yes, that's 82% of you who watched it, loved it, not just liked it, not just thought it was okay, but loved it. I commend you all for the quality of your taste. But then, of course, we know that you've got great taste because you're listening to this podcast. Ha <laughs> ha. The previous best actually had been Amadeus at only 65%. So I can only ask, will madness ever be equaled? So why do you love it all so much? Well, it was funny. Nicole remembers laughing out loud at the movie. Tim then reminded us that the acting is as impeccable as the writing. Steve did a mic drop for Nigel Hawthorne, which I know is a good thing. Eleanor gave a shout out for Helen Mirren, and of course we all shout out for Helen Mirren. And Alan pointed out that Alan Bennett is an Oxford-trained historian and almost became a medievalist don. So, great writing, funny, historically accurate, brilliantly acted. So that's all right then. The other angle, actually, was the point that Kathleen made that the film humanised George III from his reputation as a tyrant, and there was general agreement to that from Mimi, Jennifer, Juan and others. George III would like you all to know that he's very pleased. Luke then reminded us of the story that the film's original title had originally included George III, but they'd taken it out because they worried people wouldn't go because they'd think it was a sequel to George I, George II, which I can report sadly is apocryphal, which is a tragedy because it's far too good a gag not to be true. Sadly, a better gag than my putting the boot in thing, which William was very forgiving about. Thank you, William, for pointing out that it's my podcast and I can cry or crack rubbish gags if I want to. The wolf might want to comment on that one. Anyway, it was great. Tickety-donk, everyone. And I hope you enjoy Bridge every bit as much. Welcome back from that. And that's it. So please come onto the Facebook site. The debate is almost as much fun as us doing this. So come on and tell us what you think. Give us your views. Yeah. If you have any feedback for us, put it out there and uh, we will listen. Yes. Or not. (laughs) Constructive feedback is always good. Great. Fantastic. All right. See you in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Bye. Are you not entertained? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.